0: This will be a guided meditation on working with energy. So make yourself comfortable, finding a comfortable seating position. Whether you'll be sitting on the floor or in a chair, having the head, the neck, and the back aligned. Lifting through the top of the head as the spine lengthens. And slight lifting at the chest as though a string were tied to your breastbone and being diagonally lifted up. softening in your face. Feel the skin of your forehead relaxing down towards your eyes. Your forehead is open, clear, untensed. Relaxing your eyes. Uh, Your eyeballs gently rest in your eye sockets. Corners of your eyes slightly turn upwards so your eyes are swelling. Your jaw, relax. If you feel any tension in your jaw, let the lower jaw hang open so that tension can release. And having the lips gently touch together with the half smile, the inner smile, the corners of your mouth. Your whole face is very serene with the inner smile. tension above your head, and imagine a red ball of light, a very bright red ball of light that's spinning above your head. As you inhale, the spinning ball spins a little faster and becomes a little bit brighter. As you exhale, it stabilizes, continues to spin. Bright red ball spinning, spinning above your head. And then as you exhale, feel it, moving down in front of your spine, down to the base of the spine, the sacrum area, where it continues to spin, bright red ball of light, spinning, spinning, at the base of the spine. And then feel the color red and the ball itself dispersing, breaking apart, filling the pelvic area. the lower legs, the lower extremities, the legs, all the way down to the feet. And the torso, lower torso, upper torso filling with red light. You're moving to your arms to your hands and your face so your whole body is being filled with red light imagining your whole body filled with this bright red light. So you feel it in every pore of your body, every cell, suffused with red light. And feeling this red light Collecting again, being absorbed towards the sacral area into the red ball. So that all the red light is in the ball, spinning at the base of your spine. It continues to spin brightly. And bringing your attention above your head and imagining an orange ball of light spinning brightly above your head, an orange ball of light. As you inhale, it intensifies in color, becoming very bright, exhaling, it stabilizes, inhale becomes brighter, orange ball of light. And then as you exhale, the orange ball moves down in front of your spine, down to your navel, where it lodges in the navel. Continues to spin. Bright orange ball of light spinning, spinning, spinning. Feel it inside the body, in front of the spine. And then feeling the color of the orange dispersing, again, through the lower extremities, through the legs, down towards your feet. all filling with orange, the abdomen, pelvis area, the lower back. (coughs) The upper portion of the torso and upper back filling with orange, arms and hands, neck, Your head, all filling with this orange light. Your body saturated with the orange light. Your whole body suffuse with it, and then the orange light once again comes together at the navel. There's an orange ball that's spinning, feeling all the color absorbing back into the navel area as the ball continues to spin. The red ball spinning at the sacrum, the orange ball spinning at the navel. i bringing your attention above your head, imagining a yellow ball of light, bright yellow ball of light. It's spinning, spinning. A bright yellow. As you inhale, it spins a little faster and a little bit brighter. As you exhale, it stabilizes. The colors are very bright yellow. Now, as you exhale, feel that yellow ball of light moving down in front of your spine to your solar plexus area, the point midway between the bottom of of your breastbone and your navel, solar plexus. Feel this yellow ball of light spinning brightly in your solar plexus. Spinning, spinning, bright yellow, spinning. and feeling the light dispersing, filling the whole lower torso area, the abdomen, the back, filling with yellow light, the pelvis, buttocks, legs and feet, all filling with yellow light. Powerful energy center. Feel the color dispersing all through the upper torso, arms. Neck and face. So your whole body's filled with this yellow light. and feel the energy, once again, collecting at the solar plexus, all the yellow coming together, reforming the ball, a spinning ball of light at the solar plexus. You can feel it spinning in your body. <coughs> The red ball of light at the base of the spine continues the spin. A bright red, the chakra of survival. The orange ball of light spinning at the navel area, a center of reproduction. The yellow ball of light spinning at the solar plexus, the center of power, all three balls spinning, spinning. And then, once again, bring your attention above your head, imagining a green ball of light, bright green ball, spinning brightly. You inhale intensifies in color and speed, exhaling, stabilizing. As you exhale, it comes down in front of your spine, down to your heart center, this green ball of light. Feel this green ball of light spinning at your heart center, bright green spinning ball. As you inhale, it spins a little faster and brighter, letting the heart center open as this ball of green light breaks apart and spreads all through the heart center, all through your chest. Feel your whole body being filled with this green light It's a healing color, the center of emotions. Feel the green penetrating all through your chest. All through the back, middle, upper back. through his shoulders and arms being filled with this green light a healing color of green feeling it penetrating through your body through the face and head a lower torso feeling it moving down through the pelvis to the legs Your whole body is filled with this healing green light. Every cell suffused with it. Feeling the energy once again coming together. All the green reforming at the heart center into the spinning ball of green light. Continues to the spin there as do the other balls of light. Lined up along your spine. And bringing your awareness above your head and imagining a blue ball of light. bright blue ball, spinning. Inhaling, it intensifies, exhaling, it stabilizes. And then as you exhale, this blue ball of light comes down to the throat chakra the middle of your throat, Adam's apple area, feel this blue ball of light, the center of your throat, spinning, spinning, as the center of communication, feel the blue ball of light dispersing as it fills your head, the rest of the throat and the head, as it moves down through your shoulders and back and chest, through your arms, through the torso. All being filled with blue light. Through the pelvis and the legs. Your whole body suffused with this blue color. Body, and then once again, the blue reforming into a ball that spins at your throat, all the color being absorbed back into the throat chakra. higher into the upper chakras, and your attention above your head to an indigo-colored ball of light, a bluish-violet-colored light above the top of your head, this ball spinning. colored ball of light, inhaling, it intensifies, exhaling, stabilizes, and then feeling this indigo colored ball of light moving down to the third eye center between the eyebrows, just above the physical eyes, the forehead. This is the center that connects us with the spirit world, the third eye center. See this indigo-colored ball of light spinning there? Now letting this light disperse all through your head. Face. Down through your neck. Shoulders. the back, the front of the torso, filling with indigo-colored light. It's spreading, filling, pelvis, lower extremities. again, the light refocusing, collecting at the third eye center. Light has this ability, ability to disperse and collect this energy at the third eye center as the indigo pole continues to spin there. in line with the other balls of light. Now above your head, imagining a violet ball of light color violet, this ball bright and spinning and spinning above your head. Violet ball. And with the exhale, it drops down to the crown chakra, the center of the top of your head. Feel the violet ball spinning there, just inside the skull. is the center that most directly connects us with God, with the eternal. And then feel The light begin to disperse slowly, down through your head. Face, back of the head, all through the neck. Down through the torso arms, legs, your whole body being filled with this violet colored light seeping into every pore of your body. And with an inhale, feel the violet-colored drawing and collecting together at the crown chakra ball continues to spin, opening the crown chakra. And the individual colored ball, the blue ball at the throat, green ball at the heart, yellow ball at the solar plexus, orange at the navel, and the red at the base of the spine. Seeing all of these balls of light spinning in their energy centers, will be moving in a line together, up the spine and out through the top of your head. And the light, the colors will fall down around you like an umbrella. It's covering your whole body with these different colors of light. Imagining these balls spinning in their places. Inhaling. And as you inhale, feel the balls moving together up the spine, out through the center of the top of your head, out through the crown chakra. And then as you exhale, feeling the light spraying out over your shoulders, over your head, over your back, the front of the torso. So the light, the colors of the light is showering down upon you. Your body is bathed in all these different colors of light. Now imagine a white ball of light above your head. The whitest ball of light, the purest, whitest color that you know, that you can imagine. A very pure white ball of light. Glowing in its whiteness. Uh. This white light might have a slight tint of blue or rose. Whatever color of white you feel most drawn to, feeling this white ball of light above your head. And then as you exhale, feeling it moving down through the crown chakra, down through the third eye center, right in front of the spine, feeling the head being filled with this white light, and moving down through the throat as it is filled with white light. All shoulders, arms filled with light, white light, heart center, solar plexus, navel, Your whole body, the whole torso, the pelvis, the legs, all filled with white light. Very purifying white light. So your entire body is bathed by it. every pore of your body filled with white light. Not only is your body filled with white light, but is also surrounded in white light. completely surrounded, covered, in this beautiful white light. Feel every cell of your body Deeply purified with white light. This morning at our discussion group, we were talking some about the interface of Vipassana meditation and Metta meditation and how they work together, what they are, how they work together what kind of impact they have upon us. And this evening, I'd like to uh, talk some more about that. Buddhism is sometimes described as being like a bird with two wings. One wing is wisdom, and the other wing is compassion. And both of these wings are necessary for the Buddhist bird to fly, so to speak. First of all, what is the pasana? And how is it developed? As I mentioned earlier in the talk, vipassanā means, the word means clear-seeing that leads to insight. And the way that that insight is developed is through mindfulness. Mindfulness of the five khandhas, or aggregates, the aggregate of body, of perception, of feeling, of mind, and of consciousness. And as we sit, or walk, or stand, as we meditate, we're being mindful of the arising and the ceasing of these different aggregates, being aware of body as sensation, seeing the arising and the cessation of sensation. A sensation of breath, a sensation of pleasantness or unpleasantness, neutral sensations, any kind of sensation in the body, seeing the arising and the passing away of that sensation. In doing that, looking into the nature of body, and seeing the changing nature of the sensations themselves. At this point perhaps in the retreat you might find that you're able to sit for a longer period of time without feeling the stronger, more painful sensations, unpleasant sensations that you experience right at the beginning of the retreat. Perhaps you start to move deeper into an awareness of a certain part of your body where there is more pain or more unpleasantness that you didn't have at the beginning. As you continue to be mindful and aware, penetrating into the body, you start to see the deeply changing nature of it all. And the fact that the sensations themselves are not I, are not me, they're not mine. They're sensations that arise, sustain themselves, and disappear on their own. And that with mindfulness, we're just being aware of the process of that arising, sustaining, and passing away. The same thing with perceptions that we have. the weather here changes considerably. Sometimes it's very clear and bright, like it was today and last evening, where the sky is clear and the stars are shining brightly and the moon is very bright and full. And there have been times during the retreat when the wind has blown in a big way, And a lot of clouds and mist have come in. And the physical elements, they change. That is the nature of all physicality, whether it be the elements of our body, the solidity of the heat, the coolness of our body, or whether it be the elements outside. We're all made of the same energy. And we, as humans, we perceive all of this through our eyes, through our ears, through our sense of smell, through our mouth, through the tactile sensations in our body. As we take a walk and the wind blows upon our body and we feel the touch of that, or the coolness of the air, or the warmth of the sun, So, we experience life through these aggregates, through these khandhas, and through perception, through our sense doors. So, we're always mindful of whatever it is that we're seeing, or hearing, or tasting, or touching, or thinking. That there's constant perception going on, as long as we're awake as long as our eyes are open, as long as we're not in deep sleep, where there is sense contact taking place, and where sense perception can arise. And that's how we know that we're alive, is through that perception. And we're aware of all the senses, the sense material, the images that we see through our eyes, the forms that we see through our eyes, the sounds that we hear, the thoughts that arise and pass in our consciousness, the feelings that come and go, that we're aware of all of these perceptions. And we see the same process of the arising of them, the sustaining and the passing away. As we have a perception through one of our sense doors, Feelings arise. Feelings of pleasantness, of unpleasantness, and of neutral feelings. When there is the sense door, just say, for instance, our eyes, and there is an object at which we're looking at, and consciousness is present in that moment, then seeing consciousness arises. When there is that when there is seeing consciousness or hearing consciousness, when there is a sense perception like that, oftentimes it gives rise to to feelings within us. So, if it's a beautiful, clear night, and we walk outside and we see the moon, a pleasant feeling might arise from that seeing consciousness. On another day, when it's rainy, and very damp, and very cold, and we walk outside and our coat is cold, and our shoes are cold, and we put them on, that experience in that moment, that sense experience, and that contact, can give rise to unpleasant feelings in our mind. And sometimes, it, you know, our experience is obviously not very pleasant or unpleasant, it's more neutral in nature. It's not drawn to any one extreme. Another aspect of, another aggregate, is mind. The thinking process, all the thoughts that we have. And at this point of the retreat, you know very well the arising and ceasing of a few thoughts, anyway. A few memories made just a few plans, experienced just a few states of of mind, of anger, or fear, or jealousy, or desire, that they're all there, and we're aware of them, we're watching them. Same thing with consciousness. Being aware of the arising and the ceasing of the seeing, hearing, tasting of all the senses, and being aware of the being who is aware of the arising and ceasing of this, of all of the aggregates. As we start looking deeper into the arising and the ceasing of the aggregates, paying more attention, we begin to see impermanence more clearly. We just It's pretty easy to see how everything changes. Um, especially at a retreat like this, in which you're doing so much meditation, change is, is very obvious, and sometimes happens very quickly. Also, with the degree of looking that takes place, we start to see the insubstantiality of all of the aggregates start to see their emptiness, start to see that there is no inherent self that lies within any of the aggregates, that they come and go, that the experience of them is really quite impersonal. When we're sitting, we can't oftentimes in advance, or even while it's happening, know exactly what it is that we're going to be experiencing. As we sit, whatever is going to emerge is going to emerge, and there's really no inherent self in that whole experience. And as we start to open to the aggregates themselves, we start to get in touch with a lot of our attachments, and a lot of our aversions, And sometimes they come up very, very strongly. We start to see more deeply into the Four Noble Truths. Suffering becomes pretty obvious. There's not a person here who, during the course of the retreat so far, hasn't experienced some suffering. Some people, quite a lot. And that's really part of the process. That's, In a way, that's how we know that the Vipassana practice is working. If somebody comes to me sometimes and just says, I'm not feeling anything, I'm not experiencing anything at all in the practice, I really question where they're doing it properly. And somebody else will come in and will describe, you know, a whole litany (laughs) of pain and suffering, and yeah, well, the process is there. It. It's working. It's working in the sense that, that um, the person is looking and opening to themselves and what is there. And oftentimes, especially at certain points in the development of the practice, that that means that there's going to be a fair amount of suffering involved. We get in touch with our fears. It's something which is, that oftentimes happens right at the beginning. And as we pursue the practice, we become aware of it on more and more subtle levels. Of how much fear operates in our life. How much we fear. Fear of not being accepted. Fear of being rejected. Fear of not being good enough. Um, fear that we can't love, that, we, we, that we, there's an inability to love, or that our love will not be enough. And all of these fears, they, when we start to get in, t- in touch with them, there can be a pulling back from the experience that is part of the function, or what happens when we experience fear. we start to get in touch with intense emotions, like anger, or sadness, or grief, and some people in the retreat are experiencing a lot of this, we start to get in touch with some of these stronger emotions. Oftentimes, a lot of fear comes up because of the intensity of the emotion. With certain emotions, like the grief, and like the sadness, and like the anger, sometimes they are are emotions that have been inside of us for a very long time. Lifetimes. They're very, very, very deep inside. And through, and for so long, and especially in in this lifetime, as we grow older and as these emotions are there and they're working through us, it can be an attachment to the emotions in that we find that ourselves, that our self, that our identity is being defined by the emotions and by the different mental experiences that we have. That who we are is defined by our grief or our sadness or our anger. And that there can be a fear of letting go of the emotions. Because if we do let go of that sadness, of that anger, of the gr- at that grief, first of all, who are we? if we've defined ourselves so long by certain experiences in our life and by the emotions and mind states that we experience, even if this is happening on a very unconscious level, then if we let go of this, then who are we? And that in itself can create fear for us. As we start to look more deeply into the emptiness of our mind, and of our experience. That looking deeper and deeper into the emptiness creates fear. If I continue to let go of my mind, if I continue to let go of my feelings, of my consciousness, of my body, every aspect of myself, then, at the bottom of this seeming well of emptiness, what will there be? And, as people go deeper into meditation, that becomes a a very real fear to them, is because they're seeing deeper into insubstantiality, into emptiness. I attended a retreat It's, I guess, a couple of years ago, and it was a longer retreat. And I was exploring the whole theme of anatta, emptiness of self. And as I started to explore it, I started to, as the weeks were progressing, I started to experience a strong fear of annihilation. A fear of non-existence. And I went back in my mind at that time to when I first came across the teachings of anatta. Actually, the experience of a not to happen before that, when I was in my hippie days, when I was taking LSD, I would have experiences where, where who I normally perceived myself as being when I wasn't on chemicals was very different than when I was on chemicals. And that a lot of what I identified myself as being started to fall away and disappear, when I was under the influence of certain hallucinogens. But I didn't have any uh, understanding of Buddhism, or the Buddhist teachings. When I went to Thailand, and I ordained, I read a book by one of my teachers, Ajahn Buddhadasa, and then he talked about impermanence and, and emptiness. He talked about anatta. And it made a lot of sense to me. And in a way, it related to what I had experienced previously, when I was taking LSD and mescaline. And I really embraced it at that point. I really embraced anatta. It sounded like a really good idea, not to have a self. <laughs> And as I was, was, a couple of months ago, as I was reflecting on all of this, I realized the reason that I I embraced it, or at least one of the reasons that I embraced it, was because there was a lot of things that I didn't like about myself. And embracing anatta, no-self, meant that I didn't have to accept these things, such as my sexuality or anger. I didn't have to accept these things. And I realized on on a certain level that there um, there was some denial in respect to myself. So I had to move forward from that point and start to understand more my relationship with anatta what that really meant to, for me now. And I have a friend, a spiritual friend. His name is Aaron. I read something a couple of days ago from Aaron. He's a spirit. He lives on a spiritual plane. And he's channeled by a woman named Barbara Brodsky, who lives in Michigan. And I had this question about anatta. And so I I asked it to him. I said, my impression is that Buddhists believe that everything is emptiness. Nothing substantive or permanent exists, such as a soul or God. And therefore, all things are empty by nature, that is, empty of self, or zero. Yet, at times, I sense the existence of a soul and of God. Can you comment on this? He says, I can promise you that God exists, but this will be meaningless to you until you discover it for yourself. I believe you have begun to do this, and must learn to honor what you feel with your heart. As to the the belief that everything is empty, how can I explain to you that the Buddha was correct and that God and soul do still exist? Empty? What is emptiness? Do you understand that everything and nothing are the same? I see that you know this in an intellectual way, but your heart will not accept it. Learn about this idea of everything and nothing being the same, from silence. You understand when you meditate that the silence is full. The deeper you go into the stillness, the more you find there. This is the same in all things. The deeper you go into the emptiness, the more you find, until you suddenly understand that God is there. This is not self nor anything of form or consciousness, nor any of the aggregates of self. It is far deeper and is an an impersonal level, in a sense. It is the level where there is no concept of self, as the Buddha taught, and it is empty of self, as he taught. But that part of you that is no self, that is part of the One, resides there. It is through your life in this heart we all share, this soul we all share, that you find deathlessness. This is not a soul with consciousness and continuity, but, you, but when you reach this level, is simply oneness. Truly, we are all one. I have been in this space. I have chosen to leave it to teach. Always we learn on any plane. This is my own learning now, to teach others, and grow in compassion and wisdom as I do so. It is my choice, even as your learning in this lifetime is your choice. And yet, although temporarily I have chosen to assume the cloak of personality and consciousness, I dwell in this oneness, too. And it is my constant experience, as you try to make mindfulness your constant experience. It is simply a matter of degrees. Bound as you are by physical form, it is hard to go as deep. This is fine. You are always in the right form and the right plane to learn what you have chosen to learn. Trust this and honor your heart's wisdom. Please meditate on this. My words can only take you so far. The true understanding must come from within your own heart. Aaron. So, the Vipassana practice that we do, it's a lot of hard work, as you can attest to. And it takes a lot of courage, it takes a lot of perseverance. And it also takes a lot of faith, a lot of commitment, uh, and a lot of love. And metta, metta meditation it's a kind of reminder of why, why we do any of this, why we pursue any kind of spiritual practice. One time, a Trappist monk, um, who frequently used to come to retreats at IMS, I was talking to him one time, and he said, he said the mindfulness meditation practice Vipassana said, it's very dry. He says, what do you have to offset the dryness of the Vipassana practice? He called it bare-bones mindfulness. What do you you have to offset the bare-bones mindfulness practice? And, And it's true. If Vipassana is done without any love, it can be very, very dry. what there is to offset the how shall i say the bare bones mindfulness <laughs> 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 essentially is love love for love for ourselves love for the person who is doing the practice essentially love being so important in the mindfulness practice because a lot of what comes up in the shadow side of ourself, the, the parts of ourselves which we haven't accepted, the parts of ourselves which we have tried to avoid, the parts of ourselves that we fear, the parts of ourselves that we don't like, that um The metta meditation, the loving meditation, allows us to accept these parts of ourselves, which are difficult to look at. Especially with the degree of intensity, power, and oftentimes attachment, that that they exist within, that they come up with. And so, the the metta meditation practice is a reassurance to ourselves and a directing of love to ourselves, which allows this whole practice of Vipassana meditation to happen effectively. Otherwise, it can be a matter of a part of ourselves pushing away and not opening and really not accepting things that we actually see coming up in the context of the vipassana, and watching the aggregates, but there isn't the love and the compassion and the openness and the acceptance to really embrace what is there. And so, even though we may do a lot of practice, there is a part of ourselves that is still suppressing material in our mind. Not really opening to it and accepting it, the way it fully needs to be, in order for effective transformation to take place. It's also in the metta meditation, a reminder for us to love everything that we we see around us, to love other people, to love animals, to love nature the mineral life the plant life everything that exists around us that when we feel the love and light and energy within ourselves that comes from doing metta meditation loving kindness meditation then we feel so much more connected to everything around us it really is that that oneness that that Aaron was speaking of speaking of is that when we are in that state of love, then we see that love reflected in everything around us. When we're experiencing anger and fear, oftentimes that's what gets reflected in the objects, the people, the situations which we meet in our life. And so metta becomes a reminder of, well, you know why why are we doing all of this anyway what is the significance of it what is the meaning of it you know why do we meditate what is what is at the end of our meditation what do we find at the end of our meditation after all the sittings and you can count up the number of hours that you've sat in your life all the times you sat at home all the retreats that you've gone to What's at the end? What's at the end of all of that? Did you ever ask yourself that question? (laughs) (laughs) It can be pretty frightening. (laughs) Well, hopefully, peace. (laughs) Or a little bit more than when we started opening a little bit more, a little bit more self-knowledge, understanding, wisdom, hopefully a little bit less suffering, less pain in our life, but hopefully a whole lot more love. You know, hopefully that's what we experience, is just a lot more love, a lot more acceptance of ourselves and who we are, who we are as human beings, where many of us, we, we've had such a hard time accepting ourselves, you know, because of the fear and because of the things that we haven't liked to see, we don't like to see in ourselves, And meditation brings us more and more into this fuller state of acceptance of ourself, on every level of our being, and also feeling of completeness and wholeness that comes from this acceptance and from this love and that's what the med- that's what metta meditation is and that's what it brings to us it just makes us feel more whole it makes us feel more loved and nobody can do that for us nobody can give that to us it's not something that can be bought with a price it's really it's it's not even something, even somebody who loves us, they can give us love, but still we have to be able, in ourselves, to be able to receive and accept and feel that love. And if we don't love ourselves, then that that love can't take root. That's offered to us. So that's why it's so important for it to begin with ourselves. And if there's a part of ourselves which which we're holding away, and we're not accepting, then that love is not complete. And in that way, the Vipassana and the metta meditation are really working together, because in the Vipassana, we're seeing where the ignorance is, where the attachments are, where the aversions are, where the fear is. And we're seeing that very, very directly. And love inside of ourselves is able to accept that and it kind of tempers it it softens it it softens the experience of of anger and of fear and of jealousy that the little voice in, inside of ourselves uh, inside of ourselves that says okay you know i'm willing to feel this now i'm willing to experience this because i love myself and because I want to be whole, and I want to be free of this ignorance, and I want to be free of the attachments and the aversions, that I want to live in greater freedom. And so the the metta meditation becomes reminded to this, that we always have to soften in ourselves, so that that which comes up with a lot of intensity, oftentimes, as many of you are experiencing it, Um, or with a lot of repetition to it, over and over and over again, until we learn, until we understand whatever it is that we need to learn and understand, that the metta meditation relaxes us into our body, relaxes us into the experience that we're having, into the emotions, into the feelings, into the mind states. It just softens and allows all of that to happen. The reason that I say that in truth metta-meditation and vipassana-meditation work together, even though in, in Asia especially, they're really seen as being different practices. Vipassana is insight meditation, and it is. It is a certain kind of meditation, certainly. The way that metta, loving-kindness meditation, is looked upon in Asia is oftentimes practiced as a kind of concentration meditation, where you repeat a phrase, May I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I be free from suffering. May you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you be free from suffering. That, That is repeated over and over again. And that the repetition of that, it does concentrate our mind. And therefore, it is a concentration meditation of sorts. Um, but the way that Vipassana and metta meditation work together, and in fact, Vipassana meditation does have a very strong component of love to it, is that in as we look at our ignorance, at the attachments, at the aversions, at our suffering, and as we start to see deeper into the Four Noble Truths, as we start to move past suffering, we, in a whole process of going through that in in relation to our own emotional and mental experience, and also seeing uh, other people go through the same experience, that as we start to move through suffering, that naturally we start to feel more compassionate and and more forgiving. It's, it's It's a very natural part of the whole process. Because we see the nature of suffering so deeply through the Vipassana, we start to have compassion for that experience that we're having, for ourselves, the person who's going through that. And it gets extended to other people who are going through the same process. So the compassion is a, you know, it's a, natural, a very natural extension of the vipassana. As we start to look at our resentments, and our anger, and our mind holding on, to resentment and anger and blame. As we see our mind do that, and see the suffering that that creates for us, and then the mind being willing to let go of that, that when that happens, we start to learn about forgiveness. We start to realize that we can't hold on to self. We can't hold on to ego. We can't hold on to the anger. We can't hold on to the fear, to the resentment. It's like a burning coal in one's hand. You can't hold on to it. So you keep looking at it, and as you keep looking at it, and experiencing it, and feeling it, you say, at certain points, as you go deeper in the practice, you say, I can't hold on to this anymore. You let go of it. And in that letting go, you're also learning forgiveness. You're learning compassion. There's a forgiveness for oneself. And then that forgiveness is being extended to other people. So it, they very, very much work together, vipassana and metta meditation. There's another element, the last thing that I'll be speaking about this evening, that relates to love. And that is the Absolute itself, that is God itself. God is love. The Absolute is love. That is what all of us are a part of. When we say that we don't have a self, there's no permanent self, that means that as we perceive the aggregates, they're totally empty of self. But there is that essence of ourselves which we call a soul, which is connected to God. That soul doesn't have its own consciousness, and it doesn't have its own continuity, but it is of the same essence of God. And the essence of God is love. So that in honoring ourselves, in developing the metta practice, the vipassana practice, and getting in deeper touch with the love within our own being, we're also feeling this direct connectedness to God, to the Absolute. And to me, this is the whole meaning of the spiritual journey and of spiritual evolution, is through the the purifying of our own mind and heart that in this lifetime through mindfulness, through that the whole process of the Pasana meditation is purifying our mind. If we look at the hindrances and start to understand them, and when they don't have the same kind of impact upon us, when the attachments and the aversions start to fall away, then our mind is being purified. And in the purification of our mind, that the love, which shines in our heart, becomes brighter, becomes a brighter love. As one person put it, more magnificent love inside of ourselves. And that that purity of heart that is developed, that that feeds back into the Absolute, back into God, making God's love that much more powerful, making God's love that much more bright. And so the way that I see Vipassana meditation is as a very effective tool to purifying ourselves, so that shining light of love and compassion and forgiveness inside of ourselves continues to grow, and that that love and that compassion and forgiveness is manifested in the world that we live in while we're still human beings. And simultaneously, as this is all happening inside of ourselves, that it is directly reflected in God.